This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Hey, hey. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Have, have you missed us? Because we've been gone. But you would never know it. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, we're every week. So we've not been we gone are. to anybody but ourselves. Because no. you've been on a trip. A really I I extended f- trip. I feel like I've been on another planet. I was so far away for two full weeks. And I am really rejuvenated and refreshed. And it feels really good to be home. And you're wearing my favorite color on you. I know. I did it for you. I pr- <laughs> I did it for I you. I so appreciate that. I always worry that I look a little bit like a construction cone, but um That's you... my favorite look on you. That is <laughs> what I that is what I see. It's really not. Construction just, Jane. <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful color on you. Oh, thank I love it. you. Yeah, it makes me you... just want to stare and then I can't think about what we're talking about. Well, yes, it's coral. It's or, oh. or maybe salmon, which sounds a little less sexy. Oh, but... it's cer- certainly not salmon. Plus, I'm getting my bathroom redone right now, Ooh. and it's getting redone in coral. So <gasps> you could go in my bathroom and barely be noticeable. I'll be a chameleon. I think you should. Tr- I think we should do it. Yep. But yes, my trip was really, really beautiful. I actually, I don't even think that I mentioned this earlier, but I went into the trip with so much apprehension and worry because one thing that I haven't really told anyone or many people is that my dearest, most beautiful soulmate of a cousin, we grew up like arm in arm, best friends. He um, and I were exactly the same age. And since birth, we were like inseparable. And I would spend three months a year in Israel because my mom, you know, is Israeli. She was a teacher. So every summer I spent three months just totally immersed in the language, the culture, my family. And he passed away in May unexpectedly like a year after we had just been to his wedding in Milan which is where he and his beautiful wife lived and they had just had a baby who was a year and a half when he passed and it has taken me nine months actually it's it's 11 months um now but it's taken me that long to even move past the denial phase like into just even acknowledging that that actually happened i've just been so compartmentalized even as a psychologist it's good to know that like i wasn't open to grief work i wasn't open to conversations i wasn't open to solutions i just sort of wanted to sit with my grief so going back to israel i was really worried that it was going to be devastating And it ended up being a really healing, magical trip 
the bar mitzvahs were beautiful. I put zero pressure on the boys because I wanted it to be all about them feeling connected to the homeland. And I think that was really successful because yeah. it was, it was like the skies opened and it was a beautiful sunny day and it was, you know, the Western wall of Jerusalem. They put little notes in the wall and wishes and, um, yeah, it was it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Talia, you know, one of the I, I would comment on two pieces of that. One is I just loved that you kept sending me pictures to keep me kind of updated on what was going on, and it was just so beautiful to through you know those pictures spend the time with your family and see what was happening in the moment. So I appreciate all of that, um, and and the glorious nature of being able to communicate with people long distance through yeah. cell phones, which. I did not grow up with is just a magical thing that we could text in the moment, despite the uh, time difference. I always knew that if we weren't going back and forth quickly, that you were in some different space of like sleep or I was yes, asleep. Sleep um, or on so an airplane. Kind of <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. I um, mean, all, you, yeah. you are so right. And I laugh with my kids all the time about like the cell phones, because like what I remember in growing up in teenagehood, since there were no cell phones, you would coordinate with yeah. someone like your friend before you left the house. I remember hours and hours I spent like uptown Minneapolis at Calhoun Square waiting for one of my friends to arrive. And then like, you never know what's going to happen right. and you never know That's how right. to contact someone. So yeah, so fun. Talia, the other thing I think that is so incredibly relevant to probably all of us in some way or another is that when we go back to a space that either smells or looks or feels mm. or seasonally affects us in a certain way, it really does trigger that loss. And you know, one of the pieces about that beautiful, beautiful person in your life who unfortunately died is that that was at the beginning like of this podcast. And I just yeah. remember because you and I have gone from, you know, regular friendship and having sushi and cocktails on a regular basis to seeing podcast each other and talking spouseship. like every day. We are in yeah. contact in some way or another every single day for eight months. And so watching you grieve that directly and understanding how that was affecting mm. you at that time um, I'm really kind of delighted for you to get back and know what this grief process is for you and to yes. open that. And as you said, you know, even those of us who know what the hell we're talking about, it doesn't always yeah. apply to us. It's hard to apply when we are no. in it ourselves. And my you have to coping, be ready. Right? Uh, oh my God. And I wasn't. And my coping was 100% avoidance, denial, and compartmentalization, which. Yeah. Yep. Those are not actually coping strategies. They were just giving me <laughs> space to be able to function yeah. and live, right? But what I've realized, I think, for my grieving process is that it was almost like his living being took up so much of this beautiful heart space. And the absence of that was so excruciating. And I didn't know what I could fill it with if it weren't his aliveness yeah. and what has happened is like if you think about all of the life events and the emotions as sort of this like beautiful tapestry i have now allowed the loss and his death to be woven into the tapestry which is actually taking up the space of that excruciating emptiness and absence. Right. Um, and so that's been a really interesting process. Like now I can actually hold space for the loss and he's woven into my daily life as like this memory. And it's, it's 
bringing me much more comfort and um, peace than avoiding it like it's some monster running after me all the time. So, What a lovely process because it never ends as well. <clears throat> right. That's the part is as you're talking about where this has come now, what, you know, eight, nine months later, eight months. Um, the reality it, is yeah. it's an ongoing process and it's still new. Oh, yes. Yes. So. Um, I, I am so looking forward to today's episode. We have already conquered two of the four cluster bees, which you know, they're the dramatic and erratic, which are like the, the fun, the fun yeah. ones, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the first one that we tackled a couple of weeks ago was narcissistic personality disorder. And honestly, it's just scratching the surface because we I, could, there was so absolutely. much more to say. There is so much more to say. Go ahead. Second one was borderline. Yep. Borderline personality, personality disorder, disorder. Yep. and we hope that you guys got value from it and found them interesting and maybe like saw yourself or others in that and like see room for self-awareness and growth <laughs> <laughs> you know and you said something that i think is really relevant as we go through these personality disorders there is no way to cover them in their entirety and there's a million different variables to it i will say um, I, I certainly, in my professional life, but also my personal life, people had a big response to the borderline one in particular, even though narcissism shows up a lot in our practice. And we've kind of saved the last two. You know, I, uh, for our listeners, Tali had asked me which ones I wanted to cover first, and I certainly thought of the most common in my practice, which are both narcissistic and mm -hmm. borderline personality traits. But I will say that these other two that we're going to cover, I see less of, but right. they are probably more problematic in some ways as well, especially the antisocial. I mean, right, the which is, one is today. Concerning. Yep, it is today. Which, it is today, and it is humongous. Because okay, so Doug, <laughs> tell me, yeah, what is your understanding about the interchangeable use of like sociopath, psychopath, antisocial personality disorder? I'm going to take psychopath out of it because psychopath to me means criminal. There are, well, no, no I, I I think of antisocial as criminal as well. I think there's a lot of antisocial people who end up doing criminal activity. They are hurtful uh, without a great deal of regard for having hurt animals, people, whatever they are. Um, I think of it that way, but I think of psychopath as a more uh, delusional or hallucinatory or, you know, distorted oh. in some ways. And that, you know, I could be wrong about that. That's my, that's my differential between a sociopath, which I would say a sociopath and a, uh, an antisocial personality disorder, they feel interchangeable to me. Okay. You know, my, That's what I ahead. wanted to know. Yeah. No, yep. same. Same. I think yep. that a lot of people will say like, oh my God, I dated this sociopath or he's a sociopath or she's a sociopath. Um, but people don't realize maybe that that's actually a personality disorder and it is antisocial personality disorder. And it's so troublesome. It's so troublesome in so many ways, partly because as we kind of get into what this is, I mean, part of the reality is that uh, an antisocial person like narcissism can come off as very charming and very engaging and very attentive and all these things initially, but eventually recklessness and harmful behaviors toward the person they're with without regard or without remorse or without concern or real understanding. And you know what's interesting to me about an antisocial person is that there's this question as it relates to what we have this podcast about as our, our, our basic theme of relationships is that people with 
antisocial personality can have a very hard time being in relationship. Like there's a lot of questions about, is that really love? Are they really able to love? Are they able to be in a relationship with someone? So those are kind of huge questions. And I, you know, I, I know you were going to talk a little bit more about what the, what the premise is of this disorder. Yes, yes, absolutely. So overview, it's a mental health condition, right? I mean, it's a personality disorder where they don't have like really a moral compass or a sense of right and wrong, and they ignore the feelings of others. There isn't empathy, which is really challenging. Um, right. They tend to purposely make others angry and upset, and they manipulate, they treat others harshly with cruel indifference. Almost, I mean, in my experience of like working with, talking to people, it's almost as though they feel alien from humanity and that they're watching human interaction as like a science. It's like a uh, sociological or anthropological study of how humans interact, get their needs met, but there isn't a sense of like, oh, I wouldn't want to hurt their feelings, or that's not an honest way to handle this, so that these people tend to be more exploitative or manipulative. They're sort of like con artists in a way. And they will express this lack of understanding why people have such hurt feelings or why things are such a problem, because I think that their experience is muted blunted, like they aren't having this very dynamic experience of what it means to be human. What They don't find a lot of value in relationships. There's no real connection. So they just move through life, taking what they need, getting their needs met, whatever they are, by like seeing people as obstacles or stepping stones. What do you and think? And you know, there's that? a couple things, well, there's a couple things I would say about that, kind of maybe before we get into the mailbox, mailbags, <laughs> the <b> <laughs> The swamp. swamp that actually makes a lot of sense because it's very, it's very much a bog to try to get through if you're in a relationship with someone with it any is. of these personality disorders at full-blown capacity. But, you know, one of the things that I'm guessing some of our listeners are thinking is this sounds a little like narcissism, right? It sounds very similar. And so one of the things that we've talked about as we, as we go through grad school and as we learn diagnostic information and even the differential diagnosis, which for those of you who are unaware, kind of means that what are other, what other disorders would you consider when you see some of the symptoms that you have? That's so you're right. always wanting to, to interject and, and uh, assess accurately what's going on. But it is close. Like it's a, it's a, and people can have traits in different categories, as we've talked about before. But the bottom line, of course, is that this is a complex thing that if you're in a relationship with a person and you, you want an apology and you want recognition of what it is that has been harmful or, or seemingly reckless behavior or destructive behavior, you're not going to get it from someone who has this antisocial right. capacity so, or so tendency or trait. Hearing yeah. you say that, okay, so like narcissistic and antisocial both share a lack of empathy and regard yep. for others' yep. feelings. However, I might even say that the the core motivation is completely different. So like with narcissism, there's like a, a, a bottomless pit of need for validation and to be seen as 
con you know competent successful perfect yeah. fabulous whereas antisocial personality disorder it i don't and i don't know this for a fact tell me what you think but like my my hunch is that the motivation they don't really give a crap how they're seen or how they're viewed the the motivation yep. is like you're a means to an end i want what money power um whatever that is and like you're going to give that to me and i'm going to charm you or manipulate or exploit i think talia that's a really good distinction because i think people with narcissism are looking to get fed from the outside and as you said regarding antisocial there's sort of a lack of a moral compass to really give a shit what people might think or how you've behaved or what you are going to get as a consequence to that behavior or that harmful behavior. That's I don't right. think people have that, you know, regard. They just kind of keep moving on and moving forward. Um, the other thing I want to say, and it's relevant to all of these personality disorders, we've talked a little bit about this each episode in this series, but like, where does this come from? And there's, there's never a known capacity here, like, or, or known, known history here. Um, oftentimes people will associate trauma or the lack of bonding growing up or the lack of, mm -hmm. you know, models for empathy and regard, but it's not that simple. You know, I think as we study both organic and environmental pieces to these personality disorders, it, it seems to me always to be a combination of some, some form. And I will so. say like, like the other two episodes, um, today's episode, we do have a mailbag from somebody who is in a relationship with someone that they yeah. think has antisocial and Doug's gonna, Doug's gonna <laughs> take that on. And then we also like, I have all of these interesting little snippets from people's experiences when they have the disorder. Right. And that is something you almost never get to hear. And so that's, what's so interesting, but Doug, it, it literally addresses what you just said, like, how the hell does this even happen? And yeah, there was yeah. one little snippet here that was really surprising, really surprising. And I can't wait to get to that. So, I can't wait either. So, you know, and, and here's the funny thing. So I just got this mailbag in front of me to read and I've not read it before. So I'm kind of excited to kind of explore it as I read it. Um, but this is from someone who writes, and I actually love the name of the, the, per, the writer as well, but... The title is, I think my boyfriend is showing signs of some sort of antisocial disorder, which is a pretty bright way of asking that or commenting on it. Yes. So, Is there a, like a name and age? Is it a woman, a man? Uh, I don't think so. Make it up. Yep, I'm gonna. Uh, well, actually, hold on. So I don't know if this person is in a same sex or an opposite sex relationship. I don't know. Um, but says, I don't want it to be true. I love him, and the thought of him not having the capacity to love me back is so painful. Boy, that's a start. Mm. I don't know if it's just being him a teenage boy, just him being a teenage boy, but he seems much more detached than I initially thought. It's like he's a different person than when I met him. He seemed so involved and so full of life when we met, and now he's just kind of dull. I don't even really know how to describe it, but there are some things I've noticed. One, he doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. The other day, he insisted on driving well over the speed limit and going through red lights with me in the car. It terrified me, and he thought it was amusing. He is constantly playing with fire, setting things on fire, etc. I hate it. Oh, God. Boy, that's flagging me. Right? Uh, he doesn't care about consequences. He's on probation and has to do drug tests, which he consistently fails. He doesn't care. He got in his car and his phone t taken away for drinking. He doesn't care. He never does homework or shows up to any classes, despite the fact that it would cost him his graduation. He doesn't care. 
you are so hitting all of these on the head oh, God. to this writer. When I asked him if he planned on walking the stage in June, he said it didn't matter to him. I'm actually writing down some things here. I know. He doesn't ever truly seem happy or mad or sad or confused or anything. Mm -hmm. He gets little flashes where he'll express some joy or something, but a few seconds later, it's gone. Everything he does seems like he heavily contemplated it before he does it. That's an interesting comment. Yeah. He can go from being the dullest, driest person to being extremely animated in a matter of seconds. He's a very blunt person. So am I. But he says everything that comes to mind, even if he knows it will hurt my feelings. Mm. He can go from being, oh, I see this is doubling up here. He has a very high sex drive, normal for teenage boys, but doesn't feel like any excitement about it. He doesn't do things that I like, and he seems intent on finishing, no matter what, even if I don't get to finish too. He right. says he only does it because it feels good, but that it's not a sacred experience for him. Ugh. He can't hold a job. Like, he's had four-plus jobs in the last few months we've been together. He's incredibly undependable. Sometimes he's late or doesn't show up at all, and he has never been apologetic for it. He gets annoyed when those around him are upset, but never seems to reciprocate or show those same feelings. I don't know if it's something serious mm. or if he's just an arrogant teenage boy. He's not violent, but he does scare me sometimes because he's an extreme risk taker. I'm not sure what this is all about, but I am concerned. Oh, my God. I mean, what an amazing... I know. Mailbag, because it's like so spot on. Do you know what's so interesting? The first thing yeah. that came to me is if you, if someone came into your office and they were expressing like nothing matters, nothing feels good, nothing sacred, I don't yep. care, I would think they're depressed. Right. I agree. And and but then when you look at all of the other factors, which is like kind of amused when doing something either illegal or violating someone's boundaries or like really it's more like I don't give a fuck. And rather than like nothing matters, which and depression tends to be a very like self-focused in that all you want to do is crawl into a hole and die but it definitely isn't like violating other people's boundaries or you know it's just very much like heavy wet blanket that you're carrying around all the time by yourself but i think that that part of the antisocial experience is just like a very like blunted human experience because I, I think that one of the most powerful parts of being a human is being in relationship, that connection, that intimacy, which right. just isn't a part of this character structure. So maybe things do really feel pain or purposeless and sad and detached. What a beautiful way of kind of doing that, like I called it before, a differential diagnosis. Like what we do is we, we say, what is this about? What does this symptom represent? And it does sound like depressiveness. But the combination of factors here that she talks about, I think this whole, because it almost like sounds like a maybe teenage thing where like, I don't care. I don't care about right. that. I don't care about that, which right. can be developmental as well. But I want to say two things to this writer. Um, one is, regardless of diagnostic criteria and whether or not they meet a criteria for antisocial personality disorder, which I'm going to tell you, yes, it sounds like possibly yeah. that is at, at least emerging. Um, I would, because if it doesn't change... I mean, you hear a lot of adolescent people, male and female, going through difficult times, and then they recover, and they become 
functional adults in a way that's purposeful and meaningful uh, in so many ways. So there could be a lot of things going on. In fact, I even kind of think about, okay, what happened? If this kid were in my office, I would probably say, so tell me about your life so far and assess if there was trauma because there's that self-destructiveness is almost bordering on uh, self-destructive, suicidal, yeah. like slow suicidal if you, don't, if you don't really care about your life. So what's underlying that is important. But I want to go to two things about this specifically to this writer. So one is like, why are you in this relationship? If he's irresponsible, if he doesn't show up for your dates, if he doesn't show regard for you, I have to ask why you're in this relationship with him. And I'm sure what you're doing, like a lot of us have done, you kind of look at those peak moments in the relationship that are really great. And you think, but you know, remember that time that he was so animated right. and so much fun and, you know, but even sexually, you're not getting what you need because he's worried about himself finishing versus you. That's not acceptable. Like I would say, regardless of diagnosis, regardless of whether this is a personality disorder, we always have to look at like, what's the functionality in real life about these things? And if he can't be a great boyfriend, you have to consider why are you dating him still? Right. And so I, I think I, you're, you're completely right. That right. like part one might be, but remember how great it used to be. Or like, yeah. I remember when we first yeah. met and he was so charming and he was maybe like this, like James Dean, bad boy kind of like vibe. But then once you realize that like, he's kind of an asshole and he doesn't really <laughs> care about you, um, then you have to start looking at yourself a little bit to just be yeah. like, is this a self-esteem thing? Am I just still giving him so many passes that like, yeah. oh, this is why, this is why. But the reality is if you do put yourself out there yeah. and you do talk about your feelings and you do ask for your needs to be met, pretty sure he won't care and won't have a lot of willingness to change. So, you know, it goes back to, I'm always going to talk about communication, right? So you have to let him know. So these are all the things bugging me. I don't like that I'm in the car with you when you're driving recklessly. I don't like that you don't show up when you say you're going to show up. I don't like that when I say something hurts my feelings, you don't respond to it in an uh, adaptive way, which is to apologize and try to make changes if you can. So he sounds like a really crappy boyfriend. Right. So I, I find myself thinking you, would, you should communicate these concerns. If you're motivated to work on it, there are times that we're just not. But if you're motivated to work on it, let him know how these things affect you. And if he's not responsive, I'm going to suggest why, again, would you stay in that relationship? That would start to feel very codependent, continuing to be in this relationship at your own expense. You're going to continuously be less and less happy in that relationship as well. I'm concerned for him, but he has to take care of himself. You are not responsible yeah. for him in any way. So, yeah, he needs help, but you're not responsible to walk his hand over there. So Doug, tell me what you think about this. Like in my experience, I will. we we have worked with countless couples over, you know, my almost 20 years and your almost 35 uh, years. <laughs> 70 years of practice? Oh, How my, long have you been? <laughs> my, my thousand years of practice. Uh no. So, 20, 28. Oh, 28. I'm catching God. up. You're, o you're only um, 10 years ahead of me. <laughs> All right. So, Talia, just for math, you're never going to catch up with me unless God I quit. God damn it. Are and you I'm never sure? quitting. Yeah. Oh, It's oh, always going to be that bar. Like in The Price is Right, there's always going to be that margin. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. But this is what I was going to say. In my experience, we, we've seen couples that have like every issue you could ever imagine and then a few others and there isn't a single couple that 
doesn't have a chance if there's willingness. That is like the key factor, empathy, willingness, like a willingness to pour in effort, a willingness to listen, a willingness to change, look at themselves. But the problem with like narcissism and antisocial personality disorder is usually that if they're not valuing you, they're not valuing humans, they're not valuing relationships, there won't be a willingness to change because they don't really care if you're happy. (laughs) Well, and the interesting piece is this writer obviously says over and over and over, this person does not care. So, I mean, I think that's the bottom line. I'm sad for him that he doesn't care. He's not going to, if he continues in this, in this path, he's not going to have a great life. If he cannot follow through, if he can't be responsible and dependable, you know, whether we like it or not, the world depends on us to be dependable and to follow through. So, you know, I I think there's a problem there in many different ways, but again, not your, not your responsibility. Um, I would not shoosh this off as he's just a teenage boy, which the other part I don't love about that is I'm not big on the gender clarification because there are rotten behaviors for both genders and there's no stereotype to apply here. So you have to focus on how this feels to be with him, what the behaviors are that are problematic for you in this relationship, communicate them openly and honestly. I'll tell you something I'm guessing based on how you write this, that your sense of hope that he will listen to you and, and respond to you in a responsive way is probably very, in a compassionate and kind and loving way is probably very low. I do think it's worthwhile to consider age because he may not, he may be growing through some things and he may not know what to do with those. I think for kids who have had some experiences during early childhood or, you know, pre-verbal onto adolescence, if people have had sexually abusive situations, acting out becomes a response to that sometimes. So I don't know which part is which here, but that's God, for a trained real. professional to work with him and figure out where that's coming from. That is so real. And also what real. they will say even about like borderline personality disorder, yeah. and maybe this is sort of like tongue in cheek, but um, they'll say that like teenage girls by and large all exhibit these signs of like borderline personality which is like the volatility of mood the emptiness the um yeah mercurial sense of self the rage the manipulation all of that and that a lot of a lot of people just like grow up and move through it. Whereas like the teenage boys might be exhibiting more of like the narcissistic traits that they're moving through and maturing. I, I don't know, just a theory. No, I, I, I understand the theory. I think I always, and I'm, I'm, I'm careful about this. You know, I remember when I first started practicing the, that uh, book about like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Oh my God, I just hated it. I couldn't read it. I never read it. And I remember debating with my, uh, you know, and maybe it's because as a gay man, I just did not want stereotypes put on me. Yeah. So yeah. I hated stereotypes put on genders, and I'm, I think I've come out the correct one about this. I just think it's a very sad thing that we do, but I think, I think the whole concept of how girls are experienced as a teenage group of people going through learning that they're getting a cycle and the hormonal changes that happen, yeah. I think that's ridiculously unfair and un- inaccurate. And I have had some young women come to me like I have borderline personality. I'm like, no, you fucking don't. You're just um, a teenager. Working yeah, or, or you're just shit. a person who, you know, yeah. because of how you express yourself and it's maybe hard for some people, pick the people that love you and regard you and affirm you. I'm not disregarding that it, it occurs. 
you know, narcissism and borderline and all of these other disorders occur. But I, I really think some people are very shallow about their diagnostic assessment in assuming oh, certain Oh, absolutely. Things. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just even thinking about like, if you think about the mercurial moods or like the high highs and low lows and developing sense of self, right? These are things that like all teenagers are working through. That is very like hormonally based oftentimes. And also it's really hard being a teenager. It is really hard straddling childhood and adulthood with like it responsibilities is. and expectations, but all of your neurons are like cray cray. <laughs> it's they it's sure not easy. Are. Um so, so you have you have some letters from people who think they have or are? Well, it was the so this is what I found. Basically this particular <clears throat> line of thinking came from this Reddit, which I've only just kind of discovered. And I'm like, really, it's, there's a lot of stuff on Reddit. Like who knew? I also like didn't discover podcasts until we started one. And I was about 12 years late to audiobooks. So if there's anything you think I should try that came out in 2011, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look back. Um, I believe, I believe, cell phones, computers, um, Bluetooth. I'm just yes. kidding. Not only have I gotten the hang of that, but I'm now like totally addicted, right? So I'm always managing that. No, but what I was going to say is there was this Reddit thread of somebody who um, has antisocial personality disorder, and there were people asking him questions, and he was answering them which was like the most fascinating thing ever. So it is pretty fascinating. So I'm going to kind of pull together some of these snippets and I hope that it's seamless because you know, I am a chaotic organizer. So really, thank you, ADHD. I've never, I've never <laughs> noticed that, but it all flows. I'm a really good bullshitter and I can hmm. kind of make it happen on the spot. So, okay. This is what he says. I don't have a lot of the emotional part. All of my relationships are transactional, which is not the same as exploitative. And my own emotions are dulled and some of them are completely missing. Now I need far more stimulation to feel alive than the average person. Which I think is so interesting because that's the whole muted, blunted, detached piece. It's like nothing clicks in as like exciting or interesting. Um, it says that's why we're more likely to commit crimes and put ourselves in dangerous situations. When someone without this disorder is understimulated or bored, you're just bored. When I'm understimulated and bored, I am empty. It's like I'm missing a part of my life that's necessary to live. Which, this is what I wonder, it's like this, it's a humanity, like they're having a different experience of being human. Um, he says, I used to never want to admit it, but I'm actually very envious and bitter of people who can watch their favorite show or something and no longer feel bored. It's what I miss most about myself before I developed antisocial personality disorder. Okay, so you were asking, Doug, like, 
How does this happen? What are the factors at play? And he talks about his own um, family of origin, which um, it's not at all what I imagined, but it actually makes so much sense. <clears throat> and also, this is one person's experience, right? Yeah. We yeah. have no idea. Like, this is one person that is describing his parents as very emotional. My father has PTSD, which in case you don't know what that means, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. And my mother has PTSD and borderline personality disorder. They were emotionally and mentally abusive in general. <clears throat> so what I'm picturing is that there was huge volatility of mood, probably a lot of screaming, a lot of drama. And he said what made it all worse was having empathy and guilt at the time. I had to witness my mother's extremely intense emotions, which affected my own feelings a lot, right? Which is like the human experience. And they guilt tripped me about how they felt whenever I considered, oh, about how they felt when I considered running away. Sociopathy actually developed as a completely subconscious defense mechanism because I couldn't emotionally afford to empathize with my mom anymore and dad couldn't guilt trip me anymore if I'm incapable of feeling guilt. What do you think about that, Doug? You know, the crazy thing that I am experiencing as this person is writing is that there's this incredible insight I on know. No, not only himself but others. Which that others tells me he's got some compassion. The other thing that he observes, and which is not typical of antisocial people, is, you know, he's watching other people and realizing some people don't get bored when they watch a series. Or some people yeah. can, you know, it's just a fascinating sort of awareness that I, I don't see with many people who do not have regard or a moral compass. So I'm not sure about this. He's almost describing, like, I had to shut down emotionally in order yeah. to not take care of my mom's emotions or to take on my dad's guilt. And there's something very adaptive about that. That's not antisocial to me. No, but this guy has had a shit ton of therapy. Yeah, I know. And, and that's that, what's interesting too. Yes. I mean, so, and I want to just say to our, our listeners, like the other piece that we're not saying out loud is that when you think about murderers and you think about uh, people who are, you know, serial killers, etc., these people are antisocial. That's they right. without That's question right. fall in that category because there is no regard. There's actually pleasure maybe in some ways in hurting other people. That's, That's not right. what this guy is. Like, I don't even know well, that he's on that spectrum. Go ahead. I think he is. I think this is his tendency. However, because of his ability to have insight into the detachment, he sees, he sees like how yeah. normal humans are versus like the way that he is. You'll see, I'm not done. It I'm, okay, it goes I, I know you're not done. I wanna make one more comment about that though. That's really interesting to me. And I, I have this discussion with people all the time. Um, like, I think we need to be honest with people regardless of you know whether that truth might have an impact on them that might be hurtful or sad or whatnot. It's like people who stay in relationships because they're afraid to break up. Don't do that. But that's not – and it's this continuum of like being compassionate and kind and not being hurtful to other people. There is a fine line between taking care of yourself and taking care of others. And so I don't – you know, it's funny because that comes up in this discussion. Like yeah. if, you're, if your behavior or your comments do hurt people – it doesn't mean that you're antisocial. It means that maybe you're taking care of yourself and you're being honest with people about what you're experiencing and you're just not being codependent. But we live in a world, and I will 
you know, call out the, I, I'm, I don't think it's just Midwestern. I think it's everywhere. I think people take care of other people and are afraid to let them know. And I always, always tell people, you know, when somebody asks you, does this outfit, outfit make my ass look big? You don't have to say, yeah, fat ass. What you can say, <laughs> what you can say is something like, that's not the most flattering outfit I've seen on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I think you look better in a coral color shirt than I think you do in whatever. Um, right. And that's being You look like... great in everything, my dear. Uh, but, you know, oh coral, coral is my favorite on you. Go so on. I'm glad to go on. Stop, don't but, stop. But there's so many avenues that I, you know, I realize that, you know, I could go off on related to this conversation. But I apologize. Let's go forward. I want to I hear more from this dude. No, it is fascinating. And you know how desperately I wanted to talk about the Jeffrey Dahmer like piece when it came out and you were like, eh, can we not? Which, but of course that's in the back of my head. Like, how does this happen? Okay. So he goes on to say that behavioral traits like manipulation and criminal behavior can be worked on in therapy and sometimes completely eradicated, but the core traits like lack of empathy, and remorse and guilt remain. Yeah. It's a personality disorder. It can't be cured. It's just sort of managed. Um, he says people without the disorder have a moral code built around emotion and innate morality. So I don't blame people for feeling uncomfortable when they see the symptoms. But if we sit down and explain how we experience each symptom and the logical reasons behind our moral code, it might be easier to sympathize with us. I'm not sure that's true, but I think it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know. Hard to say. Hard to say. I agree. Um, He says, my lack of empathy and guilt will have to stay, which is kind of bad because I know people will assume the worst of me and I don't blame them. But it's also good because I can pick friends who understand it and are okay with it. What? Who's okay with that? Not only is, you know, I think, you know, if he were sitting in my office and he said, I guess I'll just have to live with not being empathic. That by itself is empathic because you are considering how that might impact other people. So I would put that twist on it and probably confuse the hell out of this guy. Like, I do want to kind of help him out. I want to say, don't be so hard on yourself. But like, think about like when you're talking about somebody or somebody tells you their pain, what do you do? And if he says, you know, I walk away, I'll be like, okay, so let's try something different. You know, it's so funny. I don't hear any of this as him being empathic. I feel like he's logically explaining why he's not empathic. And I agree with him. <laughs> but Talia, don't you see, like, I realize that not being empathic might, might affect other people this way. That in its essence to me is like considering other people's experience. But it's not. Okay. So is it's not empathy, caring or it's not like, that's what I, exactly what okay. I was going to ask. So okay. is the definition of empathy acknowledging or caring about other people's experience or both? Or like, Um, is it considering how you're affecting others or is it caring about how you're affecting others? The Mm. You know, that's a really great. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. What what I think is like, I almost want to say to this guy, like I want to ask him. So if somebody has a pet that died, do you not have any feeling about that? Can you not imagine how they feel about that? I got to tell you, my tendency is to think about this guy. I think he could care. There is something that tells me, based on his understanding of his origins and where his 
I don't think he cares. I think he's literally saying, I don't care. I don't care. I I think what he's saying is, I acknowledge that you have feelings. That's weird. (sighs) Yeah. I, I used to have feelings. And I used to care how other people felt. And then as a coping strategy, I protected myself against other people's craziness by yeah. not being affected by others. I'm going to say, too, I am somebody, and I realize this is how I work. If somebody comes in and they're struggling, I tend to have a lot of compassion for that and not want to pigeonhole them into a situation of hopelessness or you're just kind yeah. of screwed, right? Um, and so I tend to take a look at the better side of things, and, and I like that part of how I do work. But I don't know. I think there's capacity here. But I also want to say to him, like, if you have friends that just accept that you'll never have any mutual kind of support or regard or concern for them, that's not I don't know what he does with friendships. So there's something that I I don't know about this guy. There's something I want to know more about, like, who are these friends? How do those friendships work? If you're having a bad day or you're you're feeling stressed, do none of your friends reach out to you? Do you just have, you know, mutually antisocial friends? The other thing I want to say about this, Talia, like every single one of these personality disorders is there is a continuum. There is a situation where you can have some of the symptoms, but not all of the symptoms. So you may not reach the criteria. You might meet the criteria. Mm -hmm. I got, I got traits of all over the fucking place. So, I mean, of all of these disorders, I, I, you know, only, maybe not anti-charming ones, only the charming ones. Well, we're about to talk about histrionic, and let me just say there's some there. But anyway. Oh, my God. Um, so good. Okay. <laughs> two, two more little snippets about snippets. this, this All right. Guy. Let's go. Okay. So what he says is um, that this is the way he thinks about relationships. Like, I talk to people I, because I want to learn more about how they work. It's not because I want to learn how to exploit people better. Which, you know, that's his experience, right? But there are others with this personality disorder. So interest in other people's experiences is what I'm hearing. Keep going. No, Doug. He's not. (laughs) He's not. He doesn't care what other people experience, but he does. He's curious because he's writing. He's sort of more like this, like, alien writing a sociological um, experiment on humans. Because listen, listen. Listen, listen to this, Doug. Are you listening to me? Oh, my microphone isn't Lyra's, so I can... Too bad. Read my lips. Um, He says, I just desperately want to know how normal people's brains work because it's the closest thing I'll get to experiencing normalcy firsthand. Can you experience love? This is his answer. I wish, but no. There are people I don't like, people I like, people I really like, but I never love. I don't think so, at least. And it makes me incredibly frustrated and lonely. I hear people describe it as a relationship, a feeling, as the best experience there is on planet Earth. And everyone else seems to say that it's so thrilling and it makes life really worth living. But that has never been my experience. Okay. So I want to say two things about this. One is, and I have to evaluate this part maybe a little bit further that like, I want this guy as my client. Yeah. And I don't think of most antisocial people as people I would want in my office for sure. Well, because not there's nar- insight. Oh my God, there's curiosity, there's insight. Like I can't wait to, you know, whereas I I will tell you with narcissists, I really want to punch them in the face and push them out my door. They Um, have that effect on people. 
in a big way me. I'm a, yeah. it is definitely, I remember when I did my training uh, and I had, a, a, had the most amazing supervisor for my clinical background um, during my, during my formative clinical years. Um, and he used to tell me like, it's clear that narcissists like raise your volume inside and, and you just want to, you know, I have a really strong reaction to narcissists in a mm. bad way. Um, but I'll tell you something, this guy, like I'm, I'm dying of curiosity. I want to say, so tell me about love. Tell me about who yeah. the people have been in your life. Who do you care about? You know, because I swear he would say somebody. He's got people in his life he cares about. And that's the word that is triggering me because I, know. I think he cares about people. And so but when why? you tell me this, well, I, well, and you're saying he, he's trying to, but, but he's not looking. And this is why it's interesting. This guy is not saying I'm looking to understand human beings to manipulate and deceive right. and trap and trap them and murder them or that's hurt right. them or maul them or abuse them. He's not saying that. He's looking to be curious. And I'm going to just add a whole new autistic spectrum here right um, like oh god people... that's another differential diagnosis like of oh course. my god i know i think about that all like the i want to say this is how people with uh what used to be called asperger's no longer is called that but you know we we now have a spectrum of neurodivergency and the reality is a lot of these people will um i remember one of the books on treating Asperger's was about like showing a face with an expression. This is what happy might look like. This is what, yes. and so there's something about this that he has this sort of like social deficit as well. And that's why I'm like, I like this. I, here's the weird thing. I like this guy. I know. Like I want, I want to work with him. I want to, I want to have him in my office to like help him be more socially functional. And when he says, I want to know what love is, or I want to see how people love, or they talk about it this way. Maybe you haven't loved somebody. And maybe because of that background you have of trauma, et cetera, some of us have a hard time loving. It is what it is. So I'm not suggesting there aren't tendencies because there are. He's really owning some shit. Yeah, but I also it's so say, impressive. It's, it's so... And, but, I, but that's what makes me curious. And I don't think I antisocial people care. They do not care about these things. They do not care about others. They do not care about what the consequences are of their behavior. He seems to. So I'm an well, arguer. It's so funny. I know. It's like because... I don't feel like he cares. I think, I think that you're I think you're reading caring into I his love just, people. He is completely <laughs> like detached from uh love, intimacy, connection, and humans. He is sharing his experience, but I think that you're confusing insight for caring. But one thing I will say about you is that if there's any therapist on the face <laughs> of the earth that would be able to translate that for him as caring, it's you. Therefore, congratulations. I know who to refer him to. I have a crown on. I'm the king of... Oh, is that... It looked like a shark fin. I'm a... Yeah, this is like a moose. Oh I don't even God. know what that is. Anyway, You're I, I... Thank you. You guys, we, we love you. And thank you so much for listening. Next Tuesday, we are tackling histrionic personality disorder. So if you uh. thought this one was juicy, you are gonna die. I love this conversation. You know, it's interesting. We started this whole antisocial episode and I wasn't all that enthused, but I know it's important because I want people to contribute. I want people to discuss. And that's the part right. that I want to encourage people. This is not a finite discussion. This is a, an ongoing discussion to understand. You know, one of the pieces for anybody that does not know is that our diagnostic manual for personality disorders, it keeps changing. 
and other disorders. It keeps changing over time. We're currently taking a look in this culture of ADHD, and there's a lot, a lot of developments about what that is and what it isn't, which of course affects mm -hmm. you directly. Um, yes, it queen, does. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm the queen. But I'm the spokesperson. I was going to say queen of ADHD, <laughs> but I don't want to put that label on you. Um, I accept. But if our editor wants to put that over your screen, that would be fine. Queen of ADHD. Yeah. I love it. Um, so here's the deal, though. I, I love the ongoing discussion. So if anybody has more questions about this, experiences, that's what we welcome, and we would love to hear from you. Take care, Please, everybody. Please, for the love of God, write to us. Write to us. We're, like, find our social media. We're here media for you. And you will DM us all of your interesting, juicy stories, and we are going to bring them up anonymously with delicate care to your private details and we're just going to have these lively interesting discussions and can't wait for next tuesday have great weeks everybody bye